I am Jimbo Paris, and you are listening to the Jimbo Paris Show. Today we have Marcia Morin, who is a very important person, who is an expert and a stroke survivor. So she's going to give us her story, what she did, and give us a little bit of information on the book she has. Hello, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderfully, Jimbo. How are you? Quite well, quite well. So can you begin by giving me sort of a brief summary about yourself, who you are, what you're about, and what your message is? Yes. So I had a stroke in 2014, and I didn't know what I would do after I was, you know. And I realized that I was meant to show people the way. I learned to take one step at a time, be proud of the little achievements I achieved every day, and eventually I grew into a health and life coach. So how did this whole journey begin? How did you, what motivated you to begin writing your book and begin helping other people dealing with strokes? So when I was lying in the hospital, I realized that there were no books that told me or my husband how to get better, how to go about this. So I decided that I would write a book because somebody has to tell people the way. And although my way might be the wrong way for some people, at least it gives you an idea of what can be done. So, for example, when I was in the hospital and they brought food to my room, I was really excited, right? Because here's chicken that I could have. Well, chicken was the wrong thing because I could not eat food. They were giving me a liquid diet for a reason. So I ate it. And I choked, right? So that's one of the things that my books is like, there's some things that you have to look out for when you have had a stroke. And as a stroke victim, I really didn't know them. Very good. And you're the expert here. So can you kind of give a bit of a, a gist on what sort of a stroke is and sort of the basics? I would okay. like to know too. Okay, so there are three types of stroke. There's an ischemic stroke, which is a clot that forms in your brain. And mine was actually an uh, carotid artery dissection. So I had a clot form here, and it went up to my brain. And that is 87% of all strokes. The other 13% of all strokes is a hemorrhagic stroke. That's when you have a rupture in a and your brain bleeds. And there's a third thing that they say, which is a TIA, um, and that is just when you have a short um, stroke and you can recover all the way. So it's like it lasts for an hour or two and then goes away. So, yeah. And sort of... How did you get through all this? You know, that, that's a big thing. Did you have some sort of rehabilitation? How was the certain, what were the steps to that? And kind of tell me how that all affected you mentally, emotionally, and how you over, you know, overcame those other boundaries as well. So that's a really good question. I'd say the first thing that was going in my direction is I had a great support system. So my husband came in, and he was with me every single day. He took time off of his work, which is fabulous. And I, don't, I know that some people aren't as lucky as I am. Secondly, I had the hospital for five days. I had a rehab hospital for two weeks. I had home health care for six weeks. I had two weeks off. I had outpatient care for eight weeks. And then I had a physical therapist who I hired who worked with me for another year. 
And altogether, that helped me get back to where I can walk. Now, the other thing that happened is I had aphasia, which is an, an inability to talk. And they say that if you have aphasia for more than three months, you probably will have it for life. And that was the National Aphasia Association saying that. So I had it for three and a half years before I finally found a way for me to get rid of it. So I actually went to a doctor who did neurofeedback. And after 16 sessions of neurofeedback, I actually can talk again. <laughs> Which, Congrats. Yeah, I am so grateful to him. How has your experience impacted a lot of the people around you? Because we sort of talked a lot about how it impacted you. But, for example, everyone that cared about you, how did yeah. they feel when you overcame this and changed yourself? Did they have this newfound level of respect for you? Did, did the atmosphere around them change? Sort of elaborate on that. So I think that everyone in my life changed how they dealt with me because I was damaged for quite a while. My husband, actually, he used to be an introvert. And he probably still is an introvert, but he learned to speak up. And so if something's bothering him, he now tells me or other people what's really going on for him. My family, the same thing. They have learned to understand that with aphasia, you have to let the person talk. You have to give them room. And sometimes with aphasia, you can't talk. So they learn to be quiet and listen, which is really important. My friends also learn to take the time to be quiet and listen because it took a long time, like I said, three and a half years where I really couldn't talk much. And I think in the end, I became more aware of myself. And I think before I didn't take time to listen either. So now I take time to listen to what they have to say as well. And why do you take time? Because you have to understand what they're saying. You have to really listen to what the message is rather than just assume you know what they're saying. Have you listened to this whole message? Why did you write your book? What type of message is your book conveying to a lot of these people and your audience? And after this, I'll kind of go in a little bit more about who your audience is and all those other details. Okay. My message is one of hope. <laughs> so when you're in the hospital or you're waiting for someone who's in the hospital, you have to have some reason to hope that it will get better, right? It also has to be, so if you're a caregiver, you also have to have a reason to understand that you have to change. And finally, if you're needing to be an advocate and you're not really sure where to start, this is a good place to start because it starts from where my husband and I were, which was we had nothing. So day by day by day, we figured out, oh, we need to do this or we need to do that. And how did your main following begin to grow? Who were the people that mainly looked at your content and were very into and attracted your content because I would assume it would be other people that yeah. were also going through the same thing and you were sort of the the mentor. That's exactly it. So every stroke is different, but the issues are still the same. So you have trouble moving. You have trouble maybe speaking. You have trouble swallowing maybe. You have trouble walking. So even though they're different, the impact is similar. 
The one thing that I had that most people don't, so I think they say that 66% of people who have a stroke also have trouble with depression. I didn't have depression, and I'm so grateful for that. But I think that a lot of it might have been from all the help that I had from my family and my husband because someone is always there looking out for me and trying to understand where I'm coming from. You speak a lot about, you know, that one specific person that really helped you out, but were there any people that influenced you that were sort of going through the same thing you were going through? Uh, In the beginning, no. So in the beginning, I had a really small circle around me, and that was essentially my husband and the people who were giving me therapy. So when I had my stroke, I had trouble understanding. So I could hear what they were saying. I could understand what they were saying. And a few months later, I didn't remember. So, and they also, when I had two people talking at the same time, I couldn't connect with what they were saying because that was just too much information for me. So in the beginning, my circle was really small. As it got bigger, my husband would call two people in. (laughs) Okay, she can talk to you. So I I guess what I'm saying is everybody is different, and I had really a small group of people that I was with for, for months. And what is the average age usually? For someone that's having a stroke or going through a stroke? So there is no average age. I would say that most people have a stroke at 65 and above, but 25% of the people have a stroke from prenatal to all the way up to 60 or 65. So it could be anyone. And do you think a lot of people know this per se? Or do they think the strokes are mainly something that happens to middle age or older people? Well, people are probably like me. Oh, that happens to older people. <laughs> it's, 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 I'm too young to have a stroke. And that's not true. And what was something that you learned through having this that you probably didn't know at all? Resilience. <laughs> So I had to have resilience. I had to work on my walking every day. I had to work on my talking every day, even though I didn't talk well. So I had to learn resilience. And I think my family also had to learn resilience as well. Um, Patience. (laughs) You need a lot of patience and Believe me, I was not a patient person. <laughs> but you have to be because you you have to work at the same thing time after time after time in order to finally learn how to move your hand or your arm or your leg. So patience and resilience. And when you sort of went through a lot of this, did these skills help you? with writing your book in the future and who specifically is your book or, you know, your, your pieces written for? It definitely helped with writing because when I began writing, okay, so I write, wrote the first paragraph of my book a year after my stroke. And I say, I wrote the first paragraph. It took me all day to write a paragraph because I had still trouble having my right hand on the right keys, but that's not only it. I had to remember how to spell words and I couldn't always remember the right way to start. So it took me a long time to look it up on thesaurus. (laughs) It's like, okay, I think I want to say the word, stroke well how do you say how do you spell that well that's that seems kind of easy but it's not for someone who has aphasia so i wrote the book especially for stroke survivors and their caregivers 
and for advocates. It's for all three, but mostly stroke survivors because they have to understand that somebody else has been in their shoes. And you talk a lot about having trouble remembering the words, but what were some of your basic or specific symptoms that you were having for your condition? And what were the first symptoms to go away? And what were sort of the symptoms that took a little bit longer to subside over time? That's a really hard question (laughs) because it takes so long to recover from one thing. So you talk about walking, right? And you just think it's just walking and moving your legs forward. Well, no, you have to also move your arm. You have to move your hands. So it took me a year and a half to actually move all my pieces for walking forward. So I think that's a really tough question because, again, I'm only one person, right? So with walking, the first time I went out for a walk was probably June. So that was three months. And I could think of only pick your foot up, move it forward, set it down, pick your foot up, move it forward, set it down for weeks. Okay. And then I was kind of moving and I remembered how to move it without thinking about it. Then I had to start thinking about, oh, you have to move your arm. So it's forward, back, forward, back. Okay. And that took a few works to remember to move it without thinking about it. And it's like, okay, then I have to learn how to move my hand because Again, it's like moving a new part of my body. So it takes a long time. And then your other symptom, aphasia, right? Mm-hmm. How did that communication thing go? Was it the same thing where you had to remind yourself maybe to move your mouth? And Because there's there's a lot of intricate muscles and movements going on when you speak. So I can imagine it may have been even more complicated than the walking. It is. So I also had a praxia, and that's the movement part. And I, I figured that out pretty quickly. And then there is aphasia, which is the ability to understand what you want to say, but you can't say it. So that's a neurological thing going on. So the interesting thing about aphasia is that they say there isn't anything to get around it if you have it after three months. And I decided that I didn't like that. (laughs) So I actually went, I'm going to say off the grid and decided to try something different from other stroke patients. And that means that at two years, I found somebody who does uh, laser for your head and I asked him if it would help, and he said, maybe. So he tried the laser therapy on my head, and it worked. I could speak better a little bit. And that actually got me to 40 to 50% of speaking. So I could speak sometimes after I got this laser therapy. But I was still aphasic. So I kept looking for something. And at three and a half years, I had a doctor say, you really have to try this thing called neurofeedback because, (laughs) and and I'll tell you where to go so you can look it up and you can do some research. So I went home and I looked at microcurrentneurofeedback.com. So can you sort of get into what this is all about? So I went online and I first thing I noticed is that 85% of brain injury survivors who had neurofeedback got better. And I went, wow, 85% is a whole lot of people, right? How could I go wrong with neurofeedback, right? So there's nothing on the website that told me that it would cause me harm. So I said... Give me a, I have to try this, right? So if there's no harm and there's 85% chance that I probably will get better, 
I have to try it out. So I went in and for the first session, he gooped my hair up. He put something cold and wet and sticky in my hair. And that was to create a suction for the leads. So I had five leads that went in, two positive, two negatives in the ground. He turned it on and I felt nothing. Absolutely nothing. I'm going, okay, so I can see my brainwaves going across the screen, but I don't see anything. So I went home and I noticed that I could speak better. And I went, okay, so there's something going on, but it's so small that I can't feel it. So it's a one one hundredth of a AAA battery that pulses your brain. And I will tell you that I'm not sure why it works, but it does work. At least it worked for me. And the fascinating thing I'm seeing here is obviously, you know, stroke is a very, very big one, but it can also deal with things like ADD, ADHD, PTSD, substance abuse. Yeah, you know, I've seen certain types of things involving neurofeedback. This looks more like, this looks very alternative medicine based. Yeah, so it's a non-operant. So that means that when you sit there and you have the neurofeedback, you do nothing. So most of the stuff that I've seen, you go in, you sit down, and it asks you to do something like make the stream brighter or darker or move uh, something that you can see on the screen. That's not what this is all about. You go in and you do nothing. (laughs) Which is why I'm thinking, oh, well, how can it do anything for me? But it does. So it just started. So they, was there anything else that happened? or So, so they say that you have, it changes probably the brain cells like you're in your brain from being stuck to being unstruck. So if you are in, yeah, that's really cool. So it's like you are stuck in this pattern, right? And so it's unsticking you from this pattern that you've been in. It's probably going from a sympathetic nerve to an unsympathetic pattern. Sympathetic is fight or flight, parasympathetic, Parasympathetic is when you've learned to relax and you learn to heal. Okay, so I'm assuming this engages more of the parasympathetic nervous system then. So I'm, I think what it does is it allows you to get it out of the sympathetic. So only the parasympathetic or the sympathetic can be on at the same time. So... Okay. If you're in sympathetic, you can't go into parasympathetic. So I think it allows your brainwaves to go out of the sympathetic. So when they say it allows you to go from out of PSTC. Yeah, I'm sorry. And was your treatment unique? Because I noticed there's a lot of different things this can deal with. No, no, it wasn't. And, you know, the strange part is, is I'm just getting the feeling you just went there, it worked, and then you just, you're just like, all right, whatever. Like, was there any shock that, you know, this worked or did you just believe that it would work? And I believed it would, there was a chance. So I went in knowing that I had a chance to get better. So I wonder if you go in with the expectation that it won't help it probably won't yeah definitely but i went in going okay i don't know if this will work but i think it's going to i'm going to try it and i don't know what's going to happen but i'm going to try it anyway so you did and it worked you know that's good enough for me you know right this happens because you know i think a part of the solution to anything and look, to me, this I, I this does look real. This does feel real. It's just that 
I think a part of the solution as well is you. You are also part of the curing system because I noticed a lot of times anyone that's dealing with these types of things, it's always the one that sort of believes that they can get through this, that gets through it in the end. Yeah. That was really good. Yeah. Thank you for showing me that. No, I think that's true. So I think you have people who are positive and we'll figure out a way or we'll try to at least figure out a way. Maybe there isn't a way yet, but they're going to keep looking year after year after year. And then you have those who are negative who go, I'm sorry. I'm, I had a stroke and I'm stuck. This is how it is. This is the best I'm ever going to be. And then you get worse. So I think there's, probably no place in the middle. You're either positive or negative. Now we can turn the positive, or I'm sorry, we can turn the negative into positive, but they have to work on it. So you have to work out every single day. And I say that and people say, well, but I'm tired. I don't care. You have to work out because, okay. So neuroplasticity works if you do something time after time after time, and I mean a a thousand times, 2000 times, because it takes a long time to re-engage the systems. So that means you can't take any day off. (laughs) It's, It's like you've got a jungle, right? And you go, I have to get through this jungle to get to the next step. So you whack your way through the jungle and you go, that's too much work. I'm just going to, I'm going to quit. No, you have to go through that jungle day after day after day. And what happens is you start wearing a path and eventually the path is so strong. It's like everybody looks at it and goes, way, you have this path here. Woohoo! You can do it. That means that maybe you move your leg. And it's when you have gotten to the point where you can move your leg normally, that's when you're through with that part of, yay, you've got your, 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 uh, you finally moved your leg and you've, you know what, this is terrible. (laughs) You get nice. You get the drift though, right? It's a lot about perspective too. You know, you have to, to be positive going through this, you know, yeah. being negative is just, it's, it's just hurting you more. I think it's probably going to hurt you even more than yeah. the stroke itself. And the next thing is you mentioned exercise a lot. And yeah. do you think there's other things like diet that's important too? How do certain diets affect stroke victims? Like what types of nutrients do you think a lot of these victims need or required. So I actually went to a doctor and had my blood drawn and he discovered I was allergic or sensitive to 50 things. And I went, really? 50? He went, yeah. So I asked, what should I eat? And he said, anything that's not on this list. (laughs) So now that was soy, gluten, uh, yeast, uh, a whole lot of things that everybody eats, right? So I listened to them, and I started eating differently. So I eat whole foods. I eat organic. And you know what the interesting thing is? The inflammation that was inside my body went away. So I can breathe better. And I noticed that the blood in my carotid artery began flowing again. Now, this is interesting because they told me after my stroke that this carotid artery was done forever. It wouldn't flow again. And through this exercise of eating the right foods, I got blood flowing through my carotid artery again. That is extremely interesting. So. Mm-hmm. This kind of goes into another thing. What do you think was the actual cause of this happening to begin with? So 
Yeah, was they the, actually. Was it the artery? Yeah, so it was the artery. One to two percent of people have carotid artery strokes or carotid artery dissections. And the thing is, they don't know what caused it. They have no idea. So um, I didn't have high cholesterol. I ran every day or actually four times a week. So they had no idea why I would have a stroke. But the interesting thing is that because of my stroke, I'm now eating better. (laughs) I am exercising differently, but I am exercising. I'm drinking a little bit less. And so I'm eating what people are probably calling the healthy heart diet. Sorry, healthy heart diet. Healthy heart diet, okay. Yeah. So I'm taking care of what is going into my body now, what I never used to do. And what what is the healthy heart diet most similar to? Is it very similar to something like a Mediterranean diet? Is it very similar to something like, oh. That's, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what do you eat on a daily basis? <laughs> well, I'm dieting now. <laughs> so I eat everything that they put in the diet package for me. But what I'm not dieting, so... I make my own bread because I'm allergic to yeast and gluten. So I make my own bread and it have one piece of that with peanut butter. And I also make my own jelly. (laughs) So I don't have any sugar in my diet. Right. So that's breakfast. Um, Lunch is probably a veggie burger. And maybe supper could be a salmon patty with rice and vegetables. I mean, it's just very clean. What's going on with the veggie patty, though? Are you more on the vegetarian side? Is is red meat something you avoid necessarily? I eat red meat maybe once or twice a month. Yeah. So I found that eating... A vegetable-based diet makes me feel better, but every now and then I need a piece of meat. Okay, and about alcohol, any wines or? I drink alcohol again, probably once a week, maybe. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's not very high at all. No. So, another thing I've been interested to know is. Do you have any specific clients that you work with, people on your website? So let's look more at your business itself. How how does your business work? How did you grow it? Was it more through clients? Was it more through marketing? Other things such as your book? How did that work? So it started with a book. And (laughs) I am actually in class now to become a health and life coach. And I will have my certificate in September of this year. And I think that's really exciting because nobody that I thought of could help me through my stroke. So there might be stroke survivors out there coaching, but I didn't really hear about them, so I didn't know. So I'm here to help stroke survivors and their caregivers really understand how to get better from their stroke, how to eat right, how to exercise, how to, whatever they've got going on that they're having trouble with. And I think that's really exciting. I do have one client, <laughs> and I think it's going very well. And what is that one specifics? I usually ask coaches what their best client success story is. So you have one client, right? What is the best thing you've seen in them? I have to kind of re-engineer that question. Okay. So the best thing I think I've seen in my one client is that she's lost a little weight and she needed to lose weight so that she would be in um, better health. So she had a, she had some, trouble with her blood pressure going up. And since she's been 
on my coaching plan. She managed to keep her blood pressure down and she's lost a little bit of weight, which is good, I think. Very good. And what do you think weight has to do a lot with having a stroke as well? I understand being healthy is very important, but specifically for strokes in general, why do you think it's so vital to have, you know, a normal body fat range not be too large? Okay, so apparently, I think it was 55% of Americans are overweight or obese. The problem with, yeah, I know, that seems like a lot. But, but if you look at the trends, it's we've been getting bigger as the years go by, right? And that's because we eat the American diet. So we eat Wendy's, McDonald's, whatever we go to. We eat without thinking, right? And we are getting bigger. And as we get bigger, we have so much cholesterol in our bodies, so much fat, so much sugar, that we just can't digest it all. So we get a, a diabetes. In fact, this is the first time in history where we are now at a point where we, my generation, is going to outlive the younger generation because of diabetes. Right. That's scary. How could this all be fixed, though? How do you think a lot of these general health issues can be fixed, especially for people that came from the same area you did, where they not only have to deal with weight problems, but they have to deal with all these other health problems as well? So it starts with the diet. And it's just so if you're eating fast food, you have to cut back and then you have to stop eventually. It starts again with exercise. If you haven't done any exercise in a long time, get out and walk. It doesn't matter if you are at, you have 100 pounds to lose or you have 50 pounds to lose or you have 20 pounds to lose. It, you just start with the simple things. Just take a small step and do one thing and then do another thing. So you start building on it. It's not like, oh, I'm going to eat all vegetables now and I won't eat meat. And you just start one day. That doesn't work very well. (laughs) You just start taking one step at a time. And here's another thing. So when you're eating your food, take a few minutes, breathe a little bit, slow down a little bit, and take your bites. Say 20 minutes. Take every meal. Take 20 minutes and chew your food. Think about life. Don't think about whatever you had going on before you had your meal. Just relax. And I think that's it's it's important because that turns on the parasympathetic the nervous system. And when you're eating in the parasympathetic the parasympathetic nervous system, you actually are digesting food. If you eat and the sympathetic nervous system is going on, you can eat a lot, but you have this lump in your stomach and you're running around and doing things. You don't actually digest that food. It just goes through your body and it's like, oh, I'm going to turn into fat because you can't digest it and release it. And that's another interesting thing, because what you've just said there is basically staying in the present. You know, you have to stay in the moment. And yeah, you know, America has this very rush, 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 rush attitude. And at times it could just make eating very stressful. Why do you think we have all this heartburn medication? Because they just wolf down everything and then they're like, oh man, I can't sleep. And 
right. a lot of these other problems. So yeah. what you say there is very good. And I do the same thing. I'm a very intuitive eater. You know, mm-hmm. if you just stay intuitive with the eating, you're fine. I've dropped about 40 pounds doing that. So Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Now, another thing I would like to look at is, do you have other ways of communicating with people? Do you have a blog? Do you have a social media where you post content continuously? Or is it more of a laid back thing where you kind of let the people come to you and you sort of build your audience from there? So I do have a website called strokeforward.com. I am on Facebook, which is called Stroke Forward. <laughs> I'm on Twitter, and I'm called Stroke Forward. <laughs> hmm, I think I see a pattern here. Yeah. And what's the social media mainly for? Is that for just giving people advice? It, yes, exactly. So okay. it's what's going on in the industry recently or maybe there's sometimes I notice that somebody interesting has had a stroke. Um, so maybe it's somebody who's a little bit younger and it's to be aware. I want to know more about you from a business perspective. Now, how were you motivated to make this into a business that would generate revenue to support <laughs> your life? Where was the motivation coming from then? How did you actually market all of this to grow and build yourself? So I had my own business when I had the stroke. And I had the stroke and I said, okay, I'm going to get a job because clearly I can't have a business, right? So the interesting thing is I had aphasia and I wasn't thinking about that. So I sent out some resumes. I had a couple interviews. They called up. I answered the phone. I said, hello. They said, hello. They asked the first question. I went, nothing. Like nothing. <laughs> I went, okay, this is not doing going so well, right? <laughs> so clearly the interview was over. So I said, that's fine. It's my first interview. I'm going to do much better on the next one. Picked up the phone answered they asked a question i answered it it went great until i was halfway through the interview and suddenly there was nothing so here's what i learned so talking at the conversational level was fine by that point but talking at a deeper level about how i would do a job it was beyond me so i knew what i wanted to say and couldn't get it out so, okay, well, I'm writing a book. At least this is something. So it took me four and a half years to write, to write and publish the book. That's a long time. And I think that it's really important for people to notice that although it took me a long time to write and publish a book, I still did it. That's important. So now that I have the book out, I am speaking, or I was speaking, <laughs> not speaking much anymore. And I am looking at how do I help other people understand that stroke is devastating, but it can also turn into something important in your life too. So it's not what defines me. It's just one thing that happened. You're talking about your book a lot. That's what I'm getting a lot. You know, your business was built on the main factor that you were an author. And your book was sort of that main flagship that really built a lot of your personal brands up as well. So how did this whole thing with the book work? Were you self-published or did you work with a publisher? No, and I'm self-published. You kind of went a little bit into building relationships on the book. Can you sort of go into the steps of creation and how that whole book came about? Mm-hmm. So I was finished writing my book. And 
I finished, it was actually the third time. So the first time I read the book, I went back and read it and went, well, this is terrible. Nobody would read this. <laughs> so I set it aside and went back about six months later and rewrote it. And I went, okay, now this is better. Now, so why did not, why wouldn't anyone read my book in the first place? I didn't have any emotion in it. None. So this is a point in my life where I had actually, I didn't have much emotion. It was an interesting thing to think about because emotion is where you live. So the second version was better. I had emotion in the book, except for when I was talking about my family. I had, I still had no emotion about that. And so I set it aside, and then I picked it up again, and I rewrote that. And the problem with being emotional is that you're opening yourself up to being vulnerable, right? And I said, okay, this is where it's at. And I asked everyone who is in the book to read their part and sign something that allowed me to print this. Because if someone didn't say, yes, you can print my name, I couldn't have them in the book. Everybody who was in the book said yes, and they signed it, which I thought was fabulous because I'm being vulnerable, which means they're being vulnerable too, to the entire world. No, that's quite interesting. Some people see it as vulnerability, others maybe authenticity, others confidence. But again, being just showing who you are and accepting who you are in that situation, I think is the most important thing. Yeah. Because yeah. it's also the toughest thing to do. But you accomplished it, and that's definitely a good thing. And what happened when you were building the book? Did you have any editors, any people that made the cover for you? How did that whole publishing process work financially for you as well? That must have been very pulling because you were carrying that whole entire load. But it worked so, out. Yeah. So I wrote my book, and I got um, Diana Needham who is a, she calls herself the book shepherd. <laughs> and I went, okay, what's that mean? So she actually put me in contact with somebody else to edit the book. And the book came back and it was edited. And I went, I'm not really sure I like this. So here's the thing that you have to understand is that What's important to you is not necessarily important to the person who's reading it. So I had to let myself, some of myself go. There are a few things that I said, no, that really needs to remain in the book because this is important to me and it's important for this reason. So there are a couple of things that are in the book that she edited out that she put back in when I had that conversation. And afterwards she was done and Diana and I said, okay, the cover needs to be what? And I told her it needed to be the mountaintop with this person because that's what it is. It's a victory for me, right? <laughs> and before the stroke, that would have been me standing on the mountain. <laughs> and then she said, okay, now I'm going to put it into a format where every chapter starts this way and every, you need to pick out the fonts. You need to pick out um, what it's going to say at the end of every chapter. So there's a lot of things that she did that way. Um, and then she said, okay, now that it's done, there's a bunch of things that we need for the Kindle book. So it needs to be formatted this way. So she actually did everything to take my book from manuscript to a published book. And there's, there's actually a lot. So 
And going through all this, what do you think is the future of your business? Do you intend to write more books? Do you do you intend to maybe get more clients or maybe push out newer services? What do you think is the next step? So you have a lot of ways to go. The next step is I have an audiobook that I'm recording. Um, there are more books, so I'm going to write a cookbook for stroke survivors. I definitely want more clients, and I think that in the end, I want to be part of the movement to help change the healthcare systems in the United States. And that's a ways down the road. <laughs> And if you were to go back and speak to yourself again, what type of advice would you give to your younger self? I would tell myself that everything happens for a reason. So I was more focused on my career than my family. And now I'm more focused on my family than my career. Because the people around you are the most important things in your life. I am more focused on my friends. That's where my nourishment comes from. And what was sort of the, when you look back at all of this, who do you think you, what quality do you think you have to thank the most for? Quality? Besides your resilience. Oh, I was going to say grit, which is another word for resilience. (laughs) I think the thing I am most grateful for is my husband, my family, my friends, and for all the support they've given me. Without them, I would be a completely different person because as a stroke patient, you are taken back to your bare bones. And so it's the people around you that help you grow into the new person that you will become. That's very good. And are there any other final words or remarks you'd like to, in order to respond to what I have asked you and to what the audience believes? So if you are a stroke survivor, never give up, (laughs) ever, because there has got to be some way, somewhere, Maybe not today, but there's got to be some way, some time to move your arm right or learn how to speak again. You just have to find it. For caregivers, just be patient. Take time to understand what they are going through and take time for yourself as well because this is a long-term thing. You're not over today or tomorrow. You're you're in it for the long term. So you need to be able to sleep. You need to be able to go and have fun with your friends. Sometimes, right? So just make sure you're thinking about that. And just remember that people are here to give you advice. It could be me. It could be somebody else. But there's always somebody out here. If you're looking. Okay. Well, I am Jimbo Paris, and this is the Jimbo Paris Show. Thank you again. This was really a privilege, Marisha. Again, thank you. This was a great show. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Thank you for listening to the Jimbo Paris Show. 